About a week ago, I had a, a routine visit with my primary care physician, and uh, it, it's always great to visit with her, and uh, she sort of looks at me like a, a father-type figure uh, in, in several ways. She's about the age of my daughter, and uh, our, our doctors keep getting younger and younger, don't they? But... Uh, one of the things that we were talking about was that her position and mine are similar in a very important way. Neither of us, for, on most times, gets to see our people when they are at their very best. Usually when someone goes to see a physician, they have a reason. And usually when someone makes an effort to come, see a priest, there is a, re a reason for that too. Um, I often do not see people when they're at their very best. Uh, but I know that they're coming basically to see Jesus. And so I was thinking of the people that I have visited with who come and they have some other pretext to, to see uh, me about, but then sooner or later the real truth comes out. And I was thinking of a young woman a few years ago uh, who came just because she had moved to town and she was trying to find a parish to go to. And, uh, but as we started talking, something was really wrong. She basically said that she was in total desperation, was angry all the time, and didn't know what to do. She said, I have prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I don't have any more words left to pray. Turned out she had gone through three or four major life-changing moments in her life. She had just uh, graduated from high school in another state. And her family unexpectedly had to move, I think it was from California to Texas, and she knew nobody here. So high school graduation is a life-changing moment. Moving cross-country is a life-changing moment. Leaving all your friends behind is a life-changing moment. Moving into a place where you don't know anyone is a life-changing moment. And on, on top of that, she was having to rearrange her college schedule, which was another life-changing moment for her. And then on top of all of that, her serious high school boyfriend said goodbye to her permanently. After about three or four months of fighting and arguing over one thing after another, they'd gotten way too serious, way too fast, and when life started piling on top of them, he couldn't handle it, and she couldn't either. And so she was at a point of total desperation, and she... Basically, in the midst of that, the biggest life-changing thing that she had done, she drifted a long way away from God. A long way. She had stopped going to church about a year or so before that. She'd stopped praying. She'd stopped reading Scripture. She'd st stopped even thinking about God's involvement in her life. And so she was at the point of total despair. And the thing that prompted her to come to me was that she had torn up a poster that had hung on her wall that she had found. A poster, you've all seen it, called Footprints in the Sand, 
where there are two sets of footprints walking, uh, going down the beach, and all of a sudden there's one set of footprints. It's supposed to indicate that's when Jesus was carrying you, not that he left you. She got so mad at it, she tore it up and then felt very guilty for tearing it up. And I remember telling her uh, a lesson I have kept with me from our gospel lesson for today, where I told her, anybody can put footprints on the sand. We follow a Savior who puts footprints on the sea. Follow the one who can walk on water. Because He's our Savior. You see, Jesus finds a way to us when there is no way. Because He is the way to us. And the truth is, Jesus had never walked away from this young woman, ever. She turned her back on Him, but He was still there. She had forgotten the lesson that the Lord is with her always to the very end of the age. Our gospel lesson today is probably one of many of the most dramatic passages in the New Testament where Jesus had just fed. This is in three of the gospels. The only gospel that doesn't have this story is Luke. So it's in Matthew, our text today, and it's in John chapter 6 and Mark chapter 6. So this was a big story, a big teaching for the early church. And for us. Remember, the early church fathers had a way of looking at Scripture a little differently than we do. The early church fathers had a way of thinking that Scripture has a body, a mind, and a spirit, just like we do. Levels of meaning in this. And they're all true. The physical, literal level of Scripture is always true for those who can hear it. But there is a, an emotional, psychological level of, of Scripture that is also true. And then there is a very deep, personal, spiritual level of Scripture that speaks directly to you from the Lord God Almighty to you. So let's look at this. If all we see in this lesson is Jesus doing a miracle in front of the apostles 2,000 years ago, that's good but there's more to it than that. Jesus had just finished feeding the crowd of 5,000 families with five loaves of bread and two salted fish. And they ate until they were stuffed and then took up 12 wicker baskets full of leftovers. And then Jesus compelled, ordered his disciples to go get in the boat and go on to the next destination, which according to Mark was going to be Capernaum. And they were in, a, in probably Bethsaida. And Jesus stayed behind because he wanted to dismiss the crowds himself. And then he wanted some quiet time to pray. Well, we don't know why Jesus wanted them to get out in the boat and head out into the Sea of Galilee without him. But he did. And so they left. And Jesus went up on the mountain and prayed and watched, having his quiet time with his heavenly Father, as he did often. Well, somewhere between and during the fourth watch of the night, 
That means nothing to us. It's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. This is toward the end of the night. That's important. The apostles had been rowing all night long and were not making any headway against one of those sudden dramatic storms that still come across the Sea of Galilee, swooping down from uh, the mountains of Lebanon down into the little uh, valley where the uh, Sea of Galilee is, disturbing the water. People still die on the Sea of Galilee because of the sudden storms. I think eight people died last year on the Sea of Galilee, drowned. Not only that, but the Hebrew people had a little different understanding of the sea than we do. They were afraid of it. They thought that the, the sea, the ocean, bodies of water were hovering over the great abyss where there were chaos, monsters, just as in the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth and it said the Spirit hovered over the deep, over the waters. They were afraid of what was underneath there. It symbolized to them chaos. And it was in their history where they had, by the mighty hand of God, were driven uh, by the Lord away from Pharaoh, right to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh of Egypt brought his chariots and had them pinned against the sea. And there were those who said, let's go back, let's go back. Moses, you brought us out here to die. But God parted the Red Sea. Now the Red Sea was their big problem, right? We have big problems. God did not take the entire Red Sea away. The Red Sea was still there. God didn't take it all away, just like He rarely takes all of our big problems away. He is the way through them. So the Red Sea parted and the Hebrew people went across on dry land and the sea came back and, and swamped over the Egyptians. Well, Jesus sent his apostles out into a midnight storm on the Sea of Galilee and they thought they were perishing. These experienced fishermen had grown up there. They knew the dangers of those storms. And Jesus did too. From the mountain he saw that they were struggling and he came to them in the fourth watch of the night, the darkest time before the dawn. He is the dawn. He came walking to them on the water. Right through on top of their greatest fears, Jesus walked to them. He does that for us too. But we have to pay attention. He walked on top of the chaos on top of the horrible disturbance toward the boat. Now, Mark's Gospel has a curious line that says, Jesus intended to pass them by. He walked as though he were going to pass them by. He does that in another place too, when he follows the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they couldn't recognize him. When he got to Emmaus, Jesus appeared as though he were going to go further. But they summoned him in. Just like they said, it is a ghost. They saw him on the water. They were terrified, not only of the storm, the wind and the waves, the lightning, the thunder, the chaos monsters underneath them. They were terrified, and then here was a ghost coming to them. And Jesus says, fear not, it is I. I am the one walking to you. 
Peter impulsively blurts out, and we have to love Peter for this, Lord, if it is you, let me walk on the water to you. And Jesus said, well, come, Peter. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, guess what he could do? He could walk right on top of that storm. He could walk right over the chaos monsters beneath them. But when he stopped looking at Jesus and noticed the wind and the waves and panicked again, he began to sink. Like we do. Like this young woman did. Take your eyes off of Jesus for a few days and you will be tempted horribly. Take your eyes off of Jesus for a year like this young woman did and there's no telling what sort of craziness gets into you through the hand of the evil one who is the chaos monster. And he goes, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out, lifts him out of the deep. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And as soon as they got back in the boat, the storm died. We follow a Lord who doesn't just leave footprints in the sand. He leaves his footprints on the sea. He leaves his footprints all over our problems. He walks to us on those problems because he finds a way when we can't find a way. This young woman had come to the end of her rope, literally. She was in despair. She had run out of words. And as I eventually, eventually told her, that's great. Your words don't really matter in prayer anyway. Jesus already knows your needs. He's right there with you. If you say anything to Him, say, help me, Lord. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, Jesus. Those are the words that are important. Because that's the name that is above every name, according to Philippians chapter 2, in heaven and on earth and under the earth where the chaos monster is. That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus. So, I'm not sure what happened to this young woman but I know that Jesus was with her. And I know there are a lot of people just like her who have drifted away from Jesus. You've done it. I've done it. We don't intentionally get up in the morning and say, I'm going to see how far away I can get from God today. We don't do that. But we do the little things like we skip our morning prayers. We don't intend to skip our morning prayers forever, but it starts with that first morning. When we forget to read Scripture, the noonday office, when we forget our evening prayers, when we just forget the little things, that adds up to forgetting one big thing. It's forgetting the One who's with us. The Lord Jesus. The One who is the way through our problems, whatever they are. Now, he's, we, sometimes we make so many bad decisions in a row over a period of time, so many wrong decisions, following our own selfishness and our desires, our own garbled thinking, using our best efforts, sometimes we create a horrible mess for ourselves. And then when God doesn't immediately sweep in and take all of it away, oh, He doesn't exist anymore or He doesn't care about me. Both of those are wrong. 
He is walking with us, no matter what we're in the midst of. He is the way, no matter how far we've gotten away, reconnect through the name of Jesus, who is our connection, the only connection we'll ever need. Reconnect with him. Let him talk to you. His words to us are a lot more important than our words to him. He already knows. He knows exactly where we are. Most of the time when we go to God in great anguish, we're trying to explain to God why it's not my fault. It's like this young woman. Because when I ask her, who are you so angry at? She said, God. God. Imagine that. The one who's with her, who is walking her. I had to stop her and say, look where you are right now. You're so lost, you found your way into the office of a priest. And now we're talking about God. He hasn't left you. You've turned your back on him. Just turn around and connect with him. He finds a way when there is no way. He is the way. Anybody can leave footprints on the sand, but our Savior leaves footprints on the water. Right across the greatest problems we have, straight to us. He is the answer. He is the way. And he will never let you down.